It's time to talk about jersey numbers in the NFL again, and we're going to go back to jersey number 79 and the greatest players that ever wore that jersey in 101 years of pro football history. And Larry Schmidt of Big Blue Interactive and Gridiron Uniform Database is up next in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and welcome once again to the Pigpen. We have a great bonus edition today, football by numbers. We are at jersey number 79, the last number of the big men. And boy, what a journey it's been going through here. But uh, today we have a special guest, one of our uh, fellow guests that we had early on in the series, Larry Schmidt uh, from Big Blue Interactive. You've probably seen him, a gridiron uniform database. Now he's a uh, Giants uh, television he's been on. Uh, Larry Schmidt, welcome back to the Pigpen. Thanks for having me back, Darren. Larry, uh, this is uh, exciting having you back on here. We're getting really close to the football season, and uh, a lot of uh, things are happening here. And I know uh, before we came on, you mentioned uh, the the Gridiron Uniform Database. You guys are gearing up for the 2021 season with uniform changes, and maybe uh, like to talk about that and anything else you got got going on. Yeah, sure. It's... um... It's a busy time of year and, you know, we're putting in um, new uniforms, you know, just this past week, the Packers um, did their unveiling of their throwback uniform this year. And um, there's several others. And, um, you know, the Giants surprisingly uh, snuck one in on me that I had no idea was coming. You know, they're changing the pants on their uh, their away uniforms. No more gray. In fact, they've actually you um, mean the Mars didn't consult with you first. Can you believe it? I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. And and by the way, I love the gray pants and I'm not happy. They've actually um, I was going through the uh, new edition of the NFL record and fact book, which came out last week. And the Giants have actually eliminated gray as an official team color. They're now just blue, red and white. Oh, but, OK. You know, I find disappointing. I like the gray pants. So it's going to be all uh, all red, red and white and blue and white. Well, very patriotic. Yeah, it is. It is. Be nice to have a little gray in there too, other than the face mask. But right. we'll see. They will wear the gray pants once. As um, it's funny, this year is the tenth anniversary of um, their last Super Bowl win when they beat the Patriots for the second time in 2011, and um, they're actually going to wear that uniform once as a throwback, which is wow. just which is strange. Like they wore that uniform last year and now it's a, now it's a throwback <laughs> wow you mean the david tyree helmet catches a decade ago wow Time uh, goes by no fast. it's actually the one after that that one was oh okay four, boy that was 14 years ago oh wow yeah yeah that 2011 that was the that was the victor cruz season okay okay victor cruz and hakeem nix so that you know when uh uh Ahmad Bradshaw fell into the end zone rear end first and <laughs> accidentally scored a touchdown <laughs> 10 years ago it's unbelievable yeah wow time whips right by doesn't it it does okay um 
Well, um, I know you want to talk a little bit about uh, the numbers of the NFL in general and uh, maybe give our listeners some insight into that from the perspective of the uniform. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the, the list of players we have today is probably going to be a little more recent vintage. You know, when you had me on, when we did numbers one and seven, we were talking about Ray Flaherty and Mel Hine and great. You know, that's the area I love researching most, the 20s, 30s, 40s. But in that era, it really wasn't common for players to wear a number like 79. It was very, very rare. You you know, part of Red Grange's notoriety, you know, apart from being, you know, this electrifying college player was he wore number 77 and nobody, nobody did that. He might've been the first. And it was, you know, it's it's very akin to say uh, Wayne Gretzky wearing number 99 in the 1980s in hockey, like, he was a great player and he was exciting and he scored a ton of goals, but like nobody wore 99, nobody. So, you know, Red Grange, Red Grange and 77 were synonymous, but, you know, typically I was going through my data and like, for instance, 1925, the giants were numbered zero through 25. Nobody wore a number higher than 25. (laughs) And, you know, that's just, they numbered the guys, you know, one, two, three, four, and it was single platoon football. They played both sides of the ball and there was no numbering system in the NFL until 1952. And as you go through the twenties and the thirties, you know, the giants had, they put number 55 in issue for um, Steve Owen. So they kept that one active, but it wasn't until 1940, what was it? 1945 when they had a player wear a number as high as 70. And it wasn't until 1947 when they had a player wear number 90. So, you you know, you're not going to hear any names or, you know, from anyone who played, you know, before World War II. And it was the All-America Conference that really used almost the full, they didn't use the complete number spectrum, but they had a lot of high numbers because the way that they, set it up was that centers wore number 20 through 29 guards wore 30 through 39 tackles were 40 to 49 ends were 50 to 59 quarterbacks 60 to 69 fullbacks 70 to 79 and halfbacks 80 through 99 so they they had 19 numbers that they could uh, pick from but when you look at af you know, all America conference, you know, photos or films, you're not going to see any single digit numbers and you're not going to see any teens. The lowest number that they issued was number 20. So that's why when you see um, photographs of, you know, Otto Graham throwing the football and he's wearing number six, you know, that's a lineman's number. Well, not in the all America conference. It wasn't quarterbacks were 60 to 69 and Marion Motley, the fullback, he wore 76. So when the, you know, the Browns, the 49ers and the Colts, were merged into the NFL in 1950. Uh, there was a big mashup of numbers all over the place. And um, after the 1951 season, the NFL, you know, said, all right, we need to establish a little order to this. And they came up with the first numbering system, which is, you know, very similar to what, you know, we're going to see this year. Although, you know, over the years in the seventies, they made some refinements and then in the nineties, and then they made a few more this year, but basically what they set up in, 1952 is, you know, what you have today, you know, quarterbacks and kickers, one through 19, backs, 20s and 30s and 40s, you know, linemen between 60 and 79, et cetera. 
you know, I'm an ex official. So for high school, so I know we were always trained, you know, 50 through 79. Those are your interior linemen. They can't go out for a pass in the high school realm. You know, that even if they're on the end, uh, so that was always a good uh, measuring stick for us to know who our eligibles were. And uh, besides position, you know, just a, a quick glance. So if you see somebody, if an umpire who's in a defensive backfield sees somebody 50 through 79, you know, shooting past them. Okay. There's probably, you're probably dropping a hanky on that for uh, you know, ineligible downfield. So there's some little uh, quirks to it that helped the, from the officiating side of things also. Right. Yeah. I remember, you know, in the seventies and the eighties, centers on the offensive side were allowed to have 50 through 59, but at some point they, fa- it must've been in the nineties, they phased out fifties for offensive linemen, probably oh. around the time they allowed linebackers. Cause it used to be linebackers were 50 through 59, but then they, it was in the nineties. I think they allowed linebackers to wear nineties or 90 through 99. So that's probably when they took it away from fifties away from centers. Yeah. I, th- I think this is going to be interesting these next couple of years when we see receivers out, you know, wearing like the college game 11 and number two, oh, you know, wearing be, quarterback numbers. I'm still not used to seeing, you know, wide receivers in the teens and now they're getting single digits. I don't, I don't know. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> ah. It'll, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. I know the college game does it. Yeah. They do it pretty successfully. So as long as they keep the you know those interior linemen, I think those are the most key numbers to to keep locked into right. that fifty to seventy nine. Ineligible receiver downfield. <laughs> right, right, right. So that, that'll help out, and that helps with the fans watching too from the, the sideline view that we usually get uh, on television. That'll help us too. So that's a good thing. All right. Well, we have uh, some some great players to talk about here with the War of the Jersey 79s. And I was kind of surprised, and probably a lot of it has to do with what you said, you know, that 1952 number uh, rule change. But there are only three players that the Pro Football Hall of Fame recognizes wore jersey number 79 that are in the Hall of Fame. And those players are Forrest Gregg, Rosie Brown, and Bob St. Clair. And uh, I don't think I missed any on there. Did you have any yep. more on your end? Okay. No, that's it. And, and Forrest Gregg gets an asterisk. I'm sure you already talked about him for number 75. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, we did. We did. And he, he only wore the Jersey number 79 for one season, but uh, you know, sometimes we take that in consideration, but sometimes when they're a great player, which you could probably put Forrest Gregg he in that category, was. Uh, he, he may be one of the top, you know, 79s also. So we're not opposed <laughs> to doing that if, if that's the way it pans out. Yep. He definitely, oh, let's start with Forrest Gregg. So, okay. you know, we know, the career he had with Green Bay, uh, seven times he was all pro. He's one of only four players in history to um, win six NFL titles. And three of them were actually uh, teammates of him with the Packers where they won five. It was Herb Adderley was one. He was also with um, Greg with the Cowboys in 1971. So that was their sixth. And Fuzzy Thurston who was on five of the Packers teams, also won an NFL title with the Baltimore Colts in 1958. And then, of course, the fourth, uh, everybody knows, is uh, Tom Brady. Oh, who, but, who's uh, that? Never heard of him. <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, I'm, I'm in Connecticut. I border Massachusetts. I don't know. Who is that guy? I've never heard <laughs> But, um, you know, so far as Greg, obviously, for all those great Packer years, he wore number 75. He wore 79 with Dallas. Uh, for that one year in 1971. And he only played, I think, six games that year. But he, Tom Landry loved Forrest Gregg, and he wanted him to be on his Cowboy team because he liked his maturity and professionalism and, you know, everything he brought to the locker room. He felt like he could be like a coach on the field. And, you know, obviously, uh, Forrest Gregg became a head coach later on. And he considered 
uh, Forrest Gregg to be a very positive influence on the Cowboys in 1971. That was their the first year that they won their Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, he was definitely a great player and really um, set the standards for his positions that he played. And, uh, you know, we are still talking about him to this day, you know, from some of his aspects of what he did on the field. And, yeah. Uh, great yeah, great well, player. When, when someone like Vince Lombardi says uh, he was the finest player I ever coached, uh, you got to pay attention to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I had I was fortunate enough. I got to go to Canton a couple of weeks ago during the enshrinement weekends, you know, which is the, the largest nice. enshrinement they ever had because having two classes going in. Right. And uh, I got to be there from the, the aspect of, of the media. So I was there's a, with the media pass and just uh, how many people were talking still about, you know, some of these these older players, you know, Forrest Gregg and, uh, you know, some of those great Packers teams. It's uh, and never I don't think there was any of them that were going in. To those weekends, but still there was quite a buzz about, about those guys. Uh, so, you know, half a century or more later, they're still being talked about. Yeah. Uh, right. That's uh, why we have the whole players. Of these old, old players from the past, they aren't forgotten. That's, that, you know, that's what makes it great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. History, so, history lives on. Yeah. So I, I would say, you know, probably, uh, I don't know how, how you feel about, it, but even though you only had one season, I would put, probably put him on a, a top 10 list still of greatest number 79s. Oh, well, or do you want, or we can wait, we can wait till the end if you like. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's wait till the end. All right. Okay. Uh, do we want to talk about the other hall of famers as long as we're on, yeah, on track? Let's go okay. with Bob St. Clair because okay. uh, with the 49ers, he's the, he's someone who's not only in the, uh, I'm sorry, he's not, yeah, he's in the hall of fame. He's on the old decade team for the 1950s and the 49ers retired number 79 in his honor. Just a tremendous guy, a great tackle, but you don't see a lot of statistics for these offensive linemen. They don't get the love and the stat no. columns that uh, some of the, the they, defenders they and the offensive linemen. Anonymity, do. right? That's for sure. That's for right, sure. The, what, you know, an offensive lineman is doing his job when you don't hear his name called. Yeah, like, that, he's not, not getting called for a holding or an eligible receiver downfield. When you don't hear a guy's name on the offensive line, he's probably doing a good job. Very true. Very true indeed. But 11 seasons we're in the 79, making the Hall of Fame, you know, uh, 1953 through 1963 was his uh, years we're in 79. So yep. just, uh, just another tremendous player. Five times and he played in five Pro Bowls. And um, most interestingly, which I wasn't aware of this, he may be the only player that we're going to talk about who served in public office during his playing career. Because he was really? a he was a native San Franciscan. Um, he played high school football in San Francisco. He played most of his college football in San Francisco. He did transfer, I think it was his senior year to Tulsa. But while he was playing for the 49ers, and well, it was in the late 50s, he during the offseason was working in the um, in the public office. But during the 1961 and 1962, he was actually the mayor of San Francisco while he was playing for the 49ers. <laughs> no kidding. Wow. <laughs> I did not know that. I, I didn't know it either until I read it this week. Yeah. <laughs> while I was doing my research. I'm like, how, how do we not know this? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Very interesting. All right. Uh, yeah. Great player. Uh, Rosie Brown, we might as well bring up his name too. Another great tackle that played yep. in the NFL. Roosevelt Brown, he played for the Giants for from 1953 through 1965, and he was the left tackle all those seasons. Um, he was all pro six times. He played in nine Pro Bowls. He was the NFL's lineman of the year in 1956. 
which was also the year that Frank Gifford was the NFL's MVP. And Frank Gifford said, you know, he attributed most of his on-field success to Roosevelt Brown because he used to get a lot of his uh, great runs and he would throw option passes behind Roosevelt Brown. Um, he's on the 1950s All-Decade team and he's on the NFL's 75th and 100th anniversary teams. Yeah, I mean, it's, he was a big man for his time, even though I mean, he's listed six foot three, 255 pounds uh, when he played in the NFL. But that was a, a large man at the time. I know it's he probably a, a linebacker or a, you know, a fullback at the, these right. days. Sam, but... Huff, Sam Huff said he would have been a great fullback or tight end if he wanted to be. Because not, not only was he huge, he had like these gigantic shoulders and he had this V-shaped body. But he only had, even late in his career in 1964, he only had a 29-inch waist. So he was wow. very, he was very, very fast. He was very agile and athletic. Um, when Vince Lombardi took over the Giants' offense in 1954, he made Roosevelt Brown the first pulling tackle in the NFL. You know, prior to that, only guards pulled. But Roosevelt Brown was so fast he could get from the left side of the line to the right side almost as you know he could be there ahead of the running back before he had the ball. I don't think I've ever heard of somebody being 255 pounds and having a 29 inch waist. That's, that's unbelievable. I know. Yeah. And you know, he also was on the giants kickoff coverage because he was one of the fastest guys on the team. He could get downfield and he could cover the kickoffs. He was, you know, almost as fast as one of the gunners. Jeez. And he, oh. and he played defense. He played goal line defense in short yardage because, <laughs> you know, they had smaller rosters in the fifties and everybody pulled double duty. You know, Sam Huff would play, would cover punts, but they had Roosevelt Brown short yardage and goal line defense. He would normally line up, you know, in, in the center, you know, we call it nose tackle today in the three, four, but he would line up directly over the center short yardage and goal line. Yeah. Didn't they call it, they call it like center guard or something back then? I think uh, it would depend middle guard, middle guard. Um, in the diamond defense. I think they called it the diamond position, but yeah, he would line up directly over the center, right on okay. the line of scrimmage. And okay. he actually, you know, in the later 50s, once the NFL, you know, TV began to become popular, um, you can find newspaper articles of him, you know, an AP around the country that would talk about him being an offensive lineman who would play uh, defense and special teams. He wasn't like a two-way player, a single, uh, single platoon in the 30s and 40s, but he played, you know, some significant minutes, you know, on defense and special teams in addition to uh, being the starting left tackle. Huh. Okay. Very interesting. All right. So that, that rounds out our, our three hall of famers, but uh, there are some great players that I'm going to say are not yet in the hall of fame. Cause I think a few of these guys we might be seeing in Canton in a, a year real soon here. Uh, I agree. Maybe, I think we have a couple. Yeah. So maybe, maybe if you want to go down that road or whatever road you want to go down, uh, if you want to, sure. Sure. I'd like to start with our other retired number 79, Jim Lee Hunt, who played for the Boston Patriots from 1960 through 1970. And he is one of only 20 players who played in all 10 seasons of the AFL. And he mm. played, um, he was all pro once, played in four AFL all-star games. And he's, tied for the record of most fumble recoveries. Um, I'm sorry. He holds the AFL record for uh, most career fumble recoveries. Wow. Very interesting. Okay. And his number is retired then you said, huh? So Patriots retired at 79. So we have two retired 79s, uh, Jim Lee Hunt and Bob St. Clair. Nice. Okay. 
All right. Uh, very interesting player there. Uh, how about uh, who would you like to go to next? Uh, we have Harvey Martin, who played for the Dallas Cowboys, 1973 through 1983. Um, he, his biggest season by far was 1977. He was all pro. He was the AP Defensive Player of the Year. And he's was co-MVP of Super Bowl twelve with uh, Randy White. They uh, they did a good job of making Craig Morton miserable that day. Yeah, I can remember that. He, he was quite a player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he had like a thousand career sacks of Phil Sims. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> he, he ruined he, a lot of Sundays for me being a Giants fan. <laughs> yeah, he almost ruined a couple of Super Bowls for me too. He was him and his uh, cohorts. They were some good defenses they had. The Doomsday defenses. Yeah, they sure did. They sure did. And um, and he played in four Pro Bowls. Wow. Okay, great. All right. Uh, who would you like to go to next? Um, we have Marvin Powell. He was an offensive tackle for the Jets from 1977 through 1985. And um, he's a three-time All-Pro player. He played in five Pro Bowls. Um, he's one of the offensive linemen who um, – Toiled in anonymity. There's not a lot of, there's no statistics, not a lot of information to find out on him. You know, the Jets mostly had mediocre teams. They had some good teams in the 1980s that made playoffs, made the playoffs. The Jets had a good run in 82. You know, that year, Freeman McNeil, it was a strike shortened year. Freeman McNeil led the NFL in rushing. And, you know, a lot of that had to do with uh, Marvin Powell opening up holes for him. And they had that good playoff run. Yeah, and he also got to, to wear the creamsicle jerseys at the end of his career with Tampa Bay. That's right. Two years with Tampa Bay, but he did change numbers. He was number 74 in that nice creamsicle orange. Yeah, correct, correct. But he wore, he wore 79 for his time with the Jets. Yeah, th- those creamsicles, those are one of the uniforms. Either you love it or you hate it. I don't oh, know I anybody in between. You know, I, I love it, too. You know, when Tampa great. Bay was switching uniforms last year, I, I had my fingers crossed. I'm like, bring, bring back Bucko Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like them much better. I'm not a fan of the pewter. I like I like the creamsicles. Yeah, that, that was nice. Uh, their color scheme now is nice. I can't say I, I, I'm against it, but uh, creamsicles are just so different. Uh, yeah, they were the best. They're outstanding. Definitely a, a, a sign of the times of the seventies when they came to be as a franchise. Those uniforms scream 1976, don't they? Right. Yeah, most definitely <laughs> they do. They do. Okay. Uh, which direction would you like to go next? Uh, we'll just keep going chronological. Um, okay. I have Ross Browner. He was a defensive end for the Cincinnati Bengals, 1978 through 1986. Um, he's the brother of a hall of famer, Joey Browner. He played safety oh. for the Vikings. Um, and Ross Browner um, set, you know, at the time it was a record, 1981, he set the Super Bowl record for most tackles in a game. That was Super Bowl 16 against San Francisco. He had 10 sackles, 10 tackles, and he had the game's only sack. And also, interestingly, in 1985, he played almost 12 months of football. He left the, you know, after finishing the 84 season with the Bengals, he jumped to the USFL and played a full season, an 18 game season with the Houston Gamblers. He also wore number 79 with Houston. I looked him up on a Google image search. I found him wearing number 79 in the USFL. The USFL season ended. He went to training camp with Cincinnati and he played with the Bengals in 1985. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's now, probably more Becky than Ruth. more than 12 months he played then. So three straight know, seasons. Is that insane? And yeah. I'm sure he was very happy to have an off season. Yeah. I couldn't <laughs> wait to go on vacation. Some rest. <laughs> All right. He was a, he was a, obviously a very uh, durable player. Yeah, most definitely. Okay. And uh, who comes up next on our list? Um, I have Jacob Green from the Seattle Seahawks. He was a defensive end, 1980 through 1981. Um, he played in two Pro Bowls. And when he retired from the Seahawks, he was number three on their all-time in NFL sacks with 97 and a half. He trailed only Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor. Wow. For, so for the whole NFL, not just for the Seahawks. NFL, yep. Seahawks wow. all-time leader and three, third all-time at the time. I'm, you know, he's further down that list today, of course. Right. And, but it's um, still a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And he played one season with the 49ers in 92, but he switched his jersey number and he wore 76 with them. Okay. All right. And uh, who would our next player be that we want to discuss? I have Bob Golick. Um, he played with the Patriots. He didn't wear 79 with the Patriots because he was a linebacker. He wore number 51 from 79 through 81. Then when he joined Cleveland in 82, they moved him from inside linebacker to nose tackle. So that was when he put on our number 79. And he played uh, three consecutive Pro Bowls with the Browns from 85 through 87. And then he joined the Los Angeles Raiders in 1990, finished out his career there up through 92 when he continued to wear number 79. And he's also, when we have a couple of brothers in the 79, he's also the brother of Mike Golick. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Bob was quite a, quite the, uh, or I'm sorry, Mike, Mike, it was Mike that was the, with ESPN, with the radio for quite yes. a few years, right? Okay. And he had, had a son that played in the NFL just a few years ago. I know he was with the Steelers for like a, a season or two. That's right. So out of Notre Dame. So, all right. Great player. All right. And uh, who, who next? We have Ray Childress. Um, he was a defensive end and defensive tackle with the Houston Oilers. He played from 1985 through 1995 with Houston. Um, he was an All-Pro in 1992. He played in five Pro Bowls. And he retired as the Oilers' all-time leader in career sacks. And he shares the NFL record with three fumble recoveries in a single game which he did in 1988 against the Redskins. Wow. That is impressive. You know, some players don't get three fumble recoveries in their career. But they won one game, three, three in yeah. one game. Pretty he had a nose deal. for the ball. I think, yeah. I think he had seven recoveries that season in 88, which led the league. Yeah. No, no wonder I remember him. He was a pain in the ass to being in that AFC central. <laughs> That's right. AFC <laughs> central. Yeah. And um, he ended his career with Dallas. He played one year in 1996, but um, he switched to number 72 that year. Yeah, great, great player. Great player. When I say pain in the ass, it's fondly because uh, that no, means he was good. I know. Yeah, he was good. <laughs> Harvey Martin, he was a pain in the ass too. <laughs> right. I, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Uh, what, uh, what player would we like to talk about next? I have Bill Fralick. And, um, you know, you said uh, as we were getting started, uh, mentioning players who one day soon we think would be in the Hall of Fame. This would be the guy at the top of my list, Bill Fralick. He was a guard for the Atlanta Falcons from 1985 through 1992. Um, he's on the 1980s, all 1980s team. He was an all pro twice. 
played in four Pro Bowls, 86 through 89. He was a fantastic run blocker. You know, the Falcons had a lot of <clears throat> thousand yard rushers in the 80s. And a lot of that had to do with Bill Fralick opening up holes and clearing the way. And he doesn't have his number retired in the NFL, but his college team, the Pitt Panthers, retired his number 79. Yeah, and I, I got to, to meet Fra- Freilich a couple times because uh, Pitt used to practice in my hometown of Edinburgh, Pennsylvania. They'd have their spring training up there uh, before the season. And it, it was kind of kind of a neat thing. We would go down to, at the college. I, I lived right by the college. I could go down there. And that's actually where I attended school later on. But uh, you'd go down there and play rack up all or use the gym at the Macomb Fieldhouse in Edinburgh. And that's where pit players would dress to go, go out. So they would, they would pass by us all the time and, uh, uh, you'd get to see him. So I didn't, you know, sit there and talk to him, but, uh, you, I crouched in a corner as all these, uh, giants, uh, walked past me, you know, going out to their <laughs> practice field. So, yeah. Well, the next time you see him say, Hey, when are you getting into Canton? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, he's still re- revered a lot, uh, in the Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania area for his great play at Pitt. Yeah. And, he was a great player. NFL. Yeah. And he did, and he did play one season, 1993, with the Detroit Lions. Yes, yes, he did. All right, okay, uh, yeah, I think I think you're right, though. I think uh, we'll see him very soon in uh, in uh, Canton. I yeah, hope. for some reason, I th- the the uh, Hall of Fame has a bias against guards. They have a lot of centers and a lot of tackles. They don't have too many guards. You know, you got to yeah. fill out that. You need those guys in between. You need right. you need a couple of guards in there. Well, we got a, got a couple in this year. At least, uh, well, Alan Fanica, the Steelers, went in this year. Yeah, uh, I think there might and have been another. He was the first guard. one in a while. First yeah. one in a while. That's that's true. That's true. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of tackles. Those are the glamour positions, or the tackles exactly. and centers. The guards are sort of that forget forgotten guy in between. Right. The, but they do the, so much. They do so much of the dirty work that lets the other guys get recognized. Right. Right. You know, if the the tackle or the centers having trouble with their guy who's there to help them. The guard. Yeah. You know, who's protecting the A gap? The yeah, guard. That's, yeah, that's where the double team comes. It's always the guards involved in the right. double team, right? So <laughs> I agree with you. We need to have more guards in, in Canton. So we'll have to see what we can do about that. Okay. Uh, where do you want to go next? Uh, we'll stick with the offensive line. I have Eric Williams, who was a tackle for the Dallas Cowboys from 1991 through 2000. He's a three-time All-Pro, played in four Pro Bowls. And, you know, he could be another one of those guys who might be in Canton one day. He was a, you know, Emmett Smith, the NFL's all-time leading rusher. Eric Williams was no small part of that. Yeah, most definitely. I I used to watch, I'm not a Dallas fan, but I did watch Dallas, especially their offensive line back in that era, uh, because one of my uh, high school guys I graduated with, uh, Mark Stepnoski, was a center during those uh, great yep. teams of the, the 90s. So we, we followed them quite a bit up here because he was a you know great all-pro himself. He was, he was. Then, you know, I, I watched the Cowboys a lot being a Giant fan in that era, and they were just they, they were just a machine. And, you know, he'd actually, um, his rookie year, he was playing at guard, but it was in 1992 when the Cowboys shifted their offensive line. Nate Newton had been the starting right tackle. They moved Newton into guard and they put Eric Williams at right tackle. And, you know, 92, that was the year they won their first of three Super Bowls. And he held that spot. And then he played with Dallas through 2000. He finished his career with one one season with the Baltimore Ravens but he switched his number to 73 that year. Okay. 
Yeah, he, he was another one that uh, the, you know, the Super Bowl, the third time that the Steelers and the Cowboys met. Uh, Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson were the coaches. That's when uh, Larry Brown had the two interceptions. But I can remember, you know, Eric Williams and that, that, that big offensive line for Dallas just nullified my Steelers defensive line. Right. It had, was pretty stout itself. You know, he had some, even the linebackers were big, you know, LeVon Kirkland. And, you know, he was like almost a 300 pounder himself playing backer. But, uh, yeah, those big boys on the, with the stars on their helmet, they were they were tough to defend against. That's for sure. sure. Okay. So I have for our last player, I have Reuben Brown. He was another guard. He played most of his career with the Buffalo Bills from 1995 through 2003, and he was the epitome of consistency. He was voted to eight consecutive Pro Bowls from 1996 through 2003. And as one of the, you know, one of the great bills and he, and continued to have a good career after he was finished in Buffalo, he played with the bears from 2004 through 2007. And he made another pro bowl in Chicago, but he did, um, he changed his number to 74 for his three years with the bears or four years with the bears. All right. Uh, yeah. Those are some great players that uh, you have on there. And so I think I've, do we want to go into deliberations now and try to figure out who maybe are the, the top 10 of these players? Well, I already mentioned a couple. I have both okay. top 10. You know, I have Bill Fralick and Eric Williams are both great players. Harvey Martin was a great player. Jim Lee Hunt. Um, Forrest Gregg, even though he only wore 79 for one year, I guess we can include him, but I'm sure he's, he, he's, he's no doubt I'm in the top 10 for number 75. Bob St. Clair. Roosevelt Brown, one of the best, you know, left tackles that ever played. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so is, it, is that uh, ten that you mentioned? One, two, uh, right here. I lost two, count. Five. It was at least seven. Six, seven, I eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We have thirteen, is what I, I showed that we talked about here. So, um, and let me just go through the names real quick here, just sure. to refresh everybody. So we have I have Forrest Gregg, Rosie Brown, Bob St. Clair, Jim Lee Hunt, Ross Browner. Ray Childress, Jacob Green, Harvey Martin, uh, Marvin Powell, Bob Golick, Eric Williams, Reuben Brown, and Bill yep. Fralick. Those are a lot of good players. Like, you know, maybe I'll have to trim Forrest Gregg only because he only wore 79 for like five games for one season. And I know he's a great 75, so that's not a slight on Forrest. He's clearly one of the best players. You know, Vince Lombardi said he's the finest player he ever coached. I don't doubt that, but I'm just going to categorize him with 75 because that's what he, that's the okay. number he wore for for Vince Lombardi. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So we'll... Brown, you know, the two 79s that are retired, Bob St. Clair, Jim Lee Hunt, Bill Fralick, 79 is retired for the Pitt Panthers. I got to go with that. You know, Harvey Martin, player of the year, Super Bowl MVP. Bill Fralick, yeah. Bill Fralick and Reuben Brown. I got to go with the two guards. There's a lot of Pro okay. Bowls right there with the guards. Yeah. Eric Williams is a great player. Um, Jacob Green, he retired number three all-time in sacks. You got to have him on there. Right. Um, Ross Browner, both, you know, most Super Bowl tackles at the time. He, he had the only sack of the game. He sacked, he sacked Joe Montana. He's got to be a great player. And um, I think uh, I, I, I probably I think I'd go with Marvin Powell, another guy who was kind of he had 
three times all pro five pro bowls, not a lot of notoriety, but he was, a you know, I watched a lot of jet games in that era and he was a, he was a very, very good player. So um, I would pick him. Okay. And I think I, I have nine, but uh, did you say uh, Ray Childress? Is that one of the ones you uh, just... Ray Childress. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's Absolutely. the 10th one I'm missing. All right. So I, I have in our, our top 10, no particular order, uh, Rosie Brown, Bob St. Clair, Jim Lee Hunt, Ross Browner, Ray Childress, Jacob Green, Harvey Martin, uh, Marvin Powell, and Ruben Brown and Bob or uh, Bill Freilich. That's our, our 10. So yeah, very, very good list of players there. So Ah, thank you for that. That's some some great research and some great uh, insight on the history of those players. So appreciate it. Um, now, what do you have uh, coming up maybe on uh, on your other projects, you know, between uh, Big Blue Interactive and uh, Gridiron Uniform Database? I know you talked a little bit about the Uniform Database already, but maybe Big Blue Interactive, what do you, what do you have uh, cooking there? Um, right now, I'm doing some research. I'm working on an article. Um, I'm going to be writing about the 1990 Giants. So I'm going through uh, the newspaper archives, which is, you know, I love doing. That's always a lot of fun. So I'm I'm kind of going forward a couple of decades. I do most of my research, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. So I'm kind of bringing it bringing it forward to uh, 1990, which was a, you know, a really good year for the Giants. It was kind of like, you know, Bill Parcells last year and Bill Belichick, you know, went from Super Bowl 25 and then started his head coaching career in Cleveland before uh, he started winning a ton of Super Bowls in new England with that guy who played quarterback who we can't remember. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing uh, a lot of research for the giants media guide. I'm always, you know, I have a contact with the giants indirectly and, you know, I did the, sent them the information on Mel Hyde missing a game two years ago. And last year with, uh, Ray Flaherty with his playing career, he actually, you know, played for the New York Yankees in 1928 and, you know, stuff for the media guide, and, um, you know, the gridiron uniform database, once the season starts, you know, Bill Schaefer has us on the ball, you know, can you get me a good photo of this? Somebody's wearing a memorial patch or a helmet sticker or someone, you know, sneaks in an unexpected unit. It's like, I need a picture. I need this. So, you know, that's, it's, it's almost like a full-time job during the season. You know, we do the fun, the old, really old research. That's for the off season, you know, once the preseason starts up through the Super Bowl, it's, you know, keeping on top with what's current. It's, it's the here and now. So it's, it always keeps me busy, but um, you know, it's a lot of fun. I love doing it. Well, we appreciate everything you do on, on both those sites. You know, two great sites, again, big blue interactive, the New York giants uh, unofficial site, I guess. I don't think they're officially tied with the giants. Are they, or is that. Uh... No, we're not. We, you know, we do, um, we do hear from some people within the organization, every now and then, but um, it's unofficial. It's independent. You know, Eric Kennedy has been running the site on his own since 1995 and um, it's the best giant site out there. Uh, my unbiased opinion. Yeah. Sometimes those are the best sites because uh, sometimes the, the franchises themselves don't want you, know, they only want to give out the information that they want you to know about. They don't want uh, some of the bad to go with that or. I know. know. I hate when they do that. Right. So you get the, the already, full, you get the full, <laughs> you get the full picture 
And I think every, every uh, uh, franchise in the NFL has a, a few of those sites that uh, are unofficial, but uh, do a great yep. job. So we appreciate you doing that. That's where you and, get uh, the unfiltered info. <laughs> right. Definitely. And you, you yourself and Bill Schaefer, as you mentioned, and Tim Brule, you guys are doing an awesome job on Gridiron Uniform Database. I know Bill has let us uh, use some of the, the older graphics uh, as some of these uh, teams are coming about here recently, recent weeks here. We are putting up some of those, like we had the Detroit Wolverines the other day on there's some yeah. great graphics you guys have and uh, really makes you, you know, live back in the era. Cause like you, I love the 1920s and 1930s uh, early pro football and college football. I love that, that era. So that's awesome. So, all right, Larry, I appreciate your time today and uh, helping us out with these Jersey 79s. And uh, maybe we can sneak in one more here before we get up to 99. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love okay. to. Thanks for having me. It's always, it's always fun. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long-sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. We're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're going to have to punt the ball and get on out of here, but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines, so be sure to tune in. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of sports yesteryear.